Yeah, we're going to look today at a passage in the Bible in Genesis 22. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Genesis 22. We're going to start in verse 1, okay? If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. All the words are going to come up on the screen behind me so that you can uh, follow on as we're going. Um, As we're turning to the passage, um, just a, a reminder, as Ian said, in two weeks' time, we're going to start a new preaching series, okay? So this is the final one of the current preaching series, which has been all about the life of Abraham, okay? So we are looking at the culmination of all the lessons that Abraham has learned and that we have learned throughout the last few weeks, okay? And they are encapsulated here in this passage. So let's read the passage together, okay? Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, sorry, his father Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, this passage is one of the most well-known and well-studied passages in the Bible. In fact, the Bible itself refers to this passage a few times in the New Testament, for example, in Hebrews 11 and in James 2. And this passage is full of rich lessons for us. You can read it in a number of ways. You can read it literally, prophetically, figuratively, culturally, which means that I could spend the next four hours explaining all of these rules to you without even scratching the surface of what God can teach us through this. But before you start panicking about whether you're going to make it in time for Grandma's Sunday roast, I'm not going to do that. I've tried to distill it down and just pick out a couple of, peop- a couple of key points that hopefully God wants to share with us this morning. Having said this is one of the most well-known passages in the Bible, if you were new to the Bible... And this was the first passage you read. Wouldn't it feel a little bit weird? You know, 
even on the second reading, it still doesn't really make a lot of sense. Because we just read that God asked Abraham to kill his only son and sacrifice him on an altar. And then we read that actually Abraham does it, and but for a last minute intervention, he would have killed his only son. Now, in my head, that sounds wrong. Okay? I've got two questions about this. Why would a loving God ask Abraham to do this? Second question. Why would a loving father in Abraham agree to it? And carry it out without putting up a fight? So we're going to try and answer these questions. Now, during the week, I'm an accountant, which means my life is structured. It's my job to make sure that everything is in the right place. I like structure. I like order. So we're going to start with question two. (laughs) The reason Abraham did this without a fight is because he had faith in God. Bold statement. Let's explain that. Okay. This was not an easy thing for Abraham to do. Okay. It was not part of his normal routine. Abraham didn't know this was a test. Abraham didn't have Genesis 22 to tell him how it would end up. Okay. And Abraham loved Isaac. Going through this and doing this would have broken his heart. I am very privileged in that I am a father too. My little boy, Seth, is two and a half. You'll have seen him charging around here and creating havoc with all the other toddlers this morning. And I I love him very much. One of our favorite games is Chase. And our favorite place to play this is in the supermarket. So whenever we go on a family outing, and it's all three of us going to the supermarket, we have the routine where Carries pushes the trolley around with the list. And then she says, right, Seth, go fetch me a packet of crisps or some ice cream or whatever it is that we need that's not in the aisle that we're up. And then we go. And then what Seth does immediately is, are you marks? It's set. Go. And he's off. And we started this when we were on holiday in Wales um, last October. We'd been cooped up in the car for two hours. First place we stopped, supermarket. And to be honest, it was a small town. It was a fairly small supermarket, and we wreaked havoc there. We were charging up and down the aisle, because to be honest, he'd been cooped up for two hours, and actually so had I, so I needed the run to. Um, and it was just hectic. But we loved it, and Seth loved it. And from that point on, it's just been something that we do every time we go to the supermarket. But every now and again, Seth charges off, and he disappears. So usually we go to the end of the aisle, and then he goes around and goes down the next aisle. And then we go around the next aisle until we find what we're looking for. But if he skips an aisle and he goes around the second aisle, when I turn the corner and he's not there, there's a small moment where my heart just goes, where is he? And fortunately, he's always been in the next aisle. I've not lost him yet. Just throw that in. But in that moment, there is like just, there's just nothing beating. And until I see him again, he's lost. And I hate that feeling. I love the game. I get so much joy out of listening to him laugh. But I hate that moment. 
And here we have Abraham, who's basically going to go through this in his mind forever. Because he's about to lose his son. Isaac wasn't just any son. Isaac was the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. At the age of 75, God promised Abraham that he would become a great nation. He had to leave his home. He would be blessed. He repeated this promise five times in the book of Genesis. Specifically, in Genesis 21, God said to him, I will fulfill my promise through Isaac, your only son. Abraham had another son, Ishmael. God said, no, it's not through Ishmael, it's through Isaac. I'm going to fulfill it through him. So it makes even less sense now. Why kill the son who is the fulfillment of God's promise in your life? Why would God ask him to do that? But despite this seemingly ludicrous request, Abraham complied. Because he had faith in God. I'm liking the blank look. Because at this point, it still doesn't make sense to me. But, it sounds a bit cheesy, bear with me. A good lesson in life is that when things don't make sense, turn to the Bible for the answers. When the Bible doesn't make sense, still turn to the Bible for answers. Okay? In Hebrews 11, it tells us, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. Big moment that. So, Abraham had so much faith in God that he believed if he killed Isaac, God was going to raise him from the dead. Now, this blows my mind a little bit. This hadn't happened before. Abraham hadn't seen it. This is Old Testament, not New Testament. God didn't tell him it was going to happen. And yet Abraham was so sure in his faith that he knew God would provide another way. So how did Abraham get such a strong faith? Two points. One, he was prepared for it. Sorry, bear with If you're going to do something big, you get ready for it. So, nine years ago, my mate had a great idea. We were playing pool in November in Leeds, and he said, Joel, there's this thing called the Marathon de Sable. And I went, oh yeah, I've heard of that. We should do it. The Marathon de Sable is a six-day endurance race in the Sahara Desert. Uh, 50 degree plus temperatures. You run 256 kilometers in the space of six days. That's more than a marathon a day. On one day, you do two marathons in one day, in the desert, on your own, theoretically, unless you can find somebody who will run with you. 
at the time, I was only 26, so I said, yeah, great idea! <laughs> um, but being having a little bit of common sense, we said, why don't we start with something a bit smaller and work our way up to it? So that year, we trained for the Marathon of Britain, which is the same thing just in Britain, in the nice, lukewarm summer temperatures that we have running across the Cotswolds, with, you know, hospitals right there when you fall over and you die out of exhaustion. So we thought, all right, we'll do that. And, um, and so we started training. The race was in September. We started training in November. Ten, ten months worth of training non-stop focused we would meet up for weekends and rather than thinking yeah let's go have some fun let's go enjoy ourselves it's like nope we're up at nine we're running all day then we're going to go to bed at nine again so we get a good early night and we're going to get up again on sunday and we're going to go running all day again and that was our idea of fun for a while i know i'm sounding crazy um but in the end we got to a month before the race and we were ready and they cancelled the race um, <laughs> so we're a little gutted. So what we did said, well, it's pointless to waste this prep. Let's do our own thing. So we did. So we went off and we ran from one side of the country to the other. 135 miles, five days, no support teams, just me and my mate, a rucksack, and a few B&Bs that we'd lined up. But I'd spent 10 months training for it. I was as fit as I've ever been. I certainly didn't have my little friend here for company. So I was ready, and I'd spent ages working up for that. But this is a test Abraham didn't know was coming. So how was he prepared for it? Well, he was prepared because Genesis 22 starts with, now it comes now, bleh, now it came to pass after these things. Abraham's whole life had been a series of preparations for this moment so that he was ready and he had enough faith to obey the command that God had given him. At this point, Abraham had been walking with God for approximately 60 years. So don't panic and think this is coming to your door next week. Okay, It took a long time for God to get Abraham ready. But this is what he'd done. Abraham had been asked to leave his home where he dwelt for 75 years and leave it all behind and go to somewhere new. He'd been separated from his nephew Lot, one of his only family that he'd taken with him. He'd defeated kings in battles. He'd been blessed with children when his wife and he were beyond childbearing age. He'd been visited by the Lord and angels on many occasions. And he'd already had to send one son away. A series of events that prepared him and built up his faith every time, little by little, incremental steps, building him up to the point where he trusted and relied on God completely. Some of those moments were painful. Some were joyful. But each one was important as part of God's preparation, God's preparation of Abraham. Now, one thing that I know to be true is that when God has something for you and a test coming up, he will never put you through a test that he has not fully prepared you for. And he will never leave you alone in that test either. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that no testing has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. 
He will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Alan Redpath is a very wise Scottish preacher. He puts it better than I can do. He says, there is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing, that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God and past Christ and come right through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with a great purpose. Abraham was ready to respond to God's testing because he had spent time with God, learning from him, putting his faith and hope in him. And because he had seen God fulfill his promises to him in the past, he trusted him. This was practical, tangible experience. It wasn't something that Abraham learned in the book. Faith isn't just generated by us knowing what to do and knowing about these stories. Faith is generated in our lives through active... What word do I need? Activities. Active activities. That's a great one there, isn't it? Um, If we do not put our faith into action, there will always be a reality gap between what we know and what we do. It's important that we live this out. If you're not sure how to put your faith into action, my encouragement is that next Sunday, you find a mission group and you find out what they're doing. You find one that fits you and you do it. Mission groups are a great way to put our faith into action. A great way to have chance to step out. Ross and Emily are laughing at me now. <laughs> a great way to step out in faith and practically live out what God has been teaching us. The second thing that Abraham knew that created this amazing faith that he had, is he knew to trust the promiser, not the promise. Okay? Abraham had learnt from his experience that there was one constant throughout the 60 years that he'd been with God, and that was God himself. Even though the message itself hadn't changed and the promises hadn't changed, he had learnt to focus on what God was asking him to do, not trying to fulfil God's promises. That wasn't his job. That was God's job. Okay? Abraham had had first-hand experience of trying to bring about God's promises earlier. That's what happened with Ishmael. Okay, God said, no, you wait for my timing. This is my covenant with you. In the same way, when we are experiencing testing and trials in our life, we need to be able to stop and see the promiser, not the promise. We need to be able to step back and focus on who God is and recognize that he is in those testings and he's in those trials with us. When life feels overwhelming, God is still there with us, walking with us, helping us through whatever it is that is facing us. I quoted Alan Redpath earlier. If I'm honest, that was only half the quote. Here's the rest of it. If it has come that far, it has come with a great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment, but as I I refuse to become panicky, as I lift up my eyes to him and accept it as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing to my own heart, no sorrow will ever disturb me, no trial ever disarm me, no circumstance will cause me to fret, for I shall rest in the joy of what my Lord is. That is the rest of victory. Abraham probably did not understand what was happening, why he had been asked to do 
to sacrifice Isaac. But he trusted God and his promise. He trusted that if this is what God was asking him to do, there was a greater purpose behind it, and there was a joy to come from it. But what was this greater purpose? Why would a loving God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? I believe the test in the chief three things. It confirmed who Abraham was. It made Abraham complete. And it brought Abraham into communion with God. In complying with this testing, Abraham was confirming to God that he recognized that he was not God. Abraham was not God. Okay? He knew his place. It's not an easy concept, but we need to remember this ourselves. God is our creator. We didn't make him, he made us. And there's a very big distinction there. Too often we treat God like he's a genie in a lamp. Dear Lord, please can I have this, 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 and this, and don't forget to do this for me. But that's not just what God is about. He loves to shower us with gifts. But also he wants us to give our lives back to him. The testing made Abraham complete. James, James chapter 1 says, Brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. <laughs> Thanks, James. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. When God tests us, he is not trying to make us fail. He is not looking to pull us down. God's testing is there to edify us, to build us up to encourage us, and to strengthen us. It's there to show us who he is and teach us about who we are in him and where our strength comes from. In the Bible, it tells us there are three Christian virtues, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is... There we go. Hebrews 11.8 tells us that by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. Romans 4.18 tells us that against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Genesis 22 is the completion of this. This is where Abraham learns firsthand from God what love is. There's two ways you can see this. On one level, it's because God actually stepped in and did not allow him to sacrifice Isaac. He gave him back to him. He saved Isaac from death and Abraham from heartache. He provided another way through the ram in the thicket. But the most loving aspect that God showed to Abraham was bringing him into communion with himself. One of my best friends is a guy called Adam. I met Adam at university. He was the really studious guy that I used to get through my exams. He was a very, very decent guy. and We had shared interests. He was a Liverpool fan. He played pool. We got on really well. He's now one of my closest friends. And... Two years ago, he got married. I was best man at his wedding. 
the best man speech is the most important one at a wedding, isn't it? It's the one that's supposed to be funny, you know, rip the, rip the groom to pieces, show him in his best light. Adam was such an easy target. Oh man, there is so much material on Adam. He's a real trier. He tries hard all the time. We've varying degrees of success. Usually when he fails, he fails. He loves sports. He is the most uncoordinated, unathletic person I know. And yet he just, he still tries. And he thinks he's brilliant. I had material coming out of my ears for him and his speech. But when it came to writing it, I couldn't go there. Because Adam is just a guy that I, I, I cannot speak highly of enough. Okay? So much so that actually the speech I gave was quite warm and fuzzy. I'm not proud of it, but it, you know, I got a lot of oohs and ahs from the ladies. It's not really what you're going for in a best man speech. But the reason Adam and I are so close is because we spent tons of time together over the years. We've driven to Europe and back. We've been on holidays together to Singapore, different places in the country, in the UK, been to uh, New York. We've run the Great North Run together, all sorts of stuff. And they're all great. They're joyful memories that I have of sharing time with Adam. But Adam's also the guy that's seen me at my worst. He's been there when I've had periods of real struggle, real trials in my own life. He's seen me at one of my very lowest points when I was so stricken, 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 stricken by a panic attack that I couldn't get on the plane even though I stood in the airport. And throughout every single instance like that, Adam has never seen me how I saw myself. I saw myself at the lowest point, and Adam still saw me at the highest point. And it's been the same back. I've seen Adam at his worst point. I've been through some of the biggest trials in his life with him. I've spent time in hospital with him on a number of occasions. And because we have that shared bond, and we've shared in each other's high points and our sufferings together, we have this incredible communion now that, that you know, I'm so proud of. You know, I'm proud to call Adam one of my closest friends. This is what God was bringing to Abraham. Okay? There we go. In asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the, on the altar, God was opening up, opening up a window into what God himself would go through in the future. He was opening up a window into a time that would be the hardest time in God's life. But in doing so, he was helping Abraham to experience a love that only God could truly know. In Philippians, Paul writes, I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. If we are truly to have communion with God, we need to know him, and we need to know the power of his resurrection, and participate in his sufferings. Because in Genesis 22, we have a picture of Abraham about to sacrifice Isaac. 
few thousand years later, another son would climb that very same mountain. That son too would be the fulfillment of a promise. In fact, many promises about a coming Messiah. Jesus was God's only son. Like Isaac, he was the fulfillment of a, pros- of a promise. Like Isaac, he carried the wood of the cross on his back up the mountain. Like Isaac, he willingly submitted to the sacrifice that needed to be made. But unlike Isaac, Jesus was crucified on the cross. There could be no substitutionary ram in the thicket in this case. For there was no other way to redeem the world from its sin. There was no other perfect sacrifice available. So knowing this, God sent his only son, whom he loved, to this earth, to the cross, so that I could receive forgiveness, so that we could receive forgiveness. And in doing so, we could be reconciled to God, brought back into communion with him, where we were once far off, Jesus now stands in the gap, opening the way to the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life, an everlasting relationship with God. God loved Abraham so much that he chose to allow Abraham to experience this with him to bring him into communion with him. The testing of Abraham was a precious invitation to a chosen friend to experience the greatest act of love this world would ever know. That same question is available to us here. Okay? In the way that Abraham found communion with God and relationship with him, with the Father, Father God. We too can have the same relationship. And in doing that, the trials and the testing that we go through here, in the same way that Abraham learnt it, that when God's with you, it becomes joy. The Christian life is so much more than just testing and trials and steps. It is joyful. It is a life full of worship, full of precious fellowship with a loving Father who wants to pour out his grace upon us, who wants to go deeper in fellowship with us. That is why this is one of the most preached on passages because it's a rare glimpse into the relationship that our Father God wants with us and the intimacy that he likes. Because of the cross, we have forgiveness. We don't have to go and sacrifice our sons. Jesus has done that once and for all for us.